back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brandon Nunez, and today we got a special guest on the show. It's Sam Amick, senior NBA writer for The Athletic. I'm sure everybody listening is already aware of Sam, but I can't say thanks enough for coming on, man. How you doing? Brandon, doing good, man. I told you off the air, this setup you have is, is super fancy. I, I uh, This is a weird, not trying to flex, but part of my morning was jumping on the Colin Cowherd show. And uh, if I didn't know any better, this is like just as kind of fancy from a production standpoint. So nice Jeez. job. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for the downgrade. Wow. That is all right. Um, <laughs> no downgrade. No downgrade. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, says enough about how nice you are to join me, man. I, I really do appreciate it. It's been good to meet you at the games and kind of hang out with you a bit. Um, see you later tonight. The Kings are playing at the time of recording here later tonight against the Denver Nuggets. First game post all-star break. Um, and Sam, I want to kind of run through some of the deals that they made prior to the deadline and then also where the team building kind of goes from here with this Kings team. And obviously the highlight of the deadline um, is that Tyrese Halliburton, along with Buddy Heald and Tristan Thompson for Demonis Sabonis and then Justin Holiday and Jeremy Lamb as well. Um, and I'm just curious, what was your reaction to seeing the kind of what felt like league-wide freak out of, holy shit, they really traded Halliburton? Yeah, I was surprised. You know, I mean, as you know, the Kings had sent a message leading into the deadline that they were still going to build around Fox and Halliburton. And if you had to pick one of those two, that it was likely going to be Fox who would be sent out. But, you know, the thing that I think fans and even media sometimes forget is that you're trying as a team and, you know, as an executive to work within the market. And so you spend months really trying to learn as much as possible about what the market is for each of your players. And what we now know is that the Fox market, you know, the Kings have pushed back against the idea that it wasn't as kind of lucrative, if you will, as they might have anticipated. But for one reason or another, the, the, you know, the focus shifted to Halliburton. And, and I had been told back then that Indiana wasn't interested in a Fox force a bonus swap. Um, and so we see the way this deal went down. I, I mean, listen, I have been in the camp of understanding why they did it and by and large being fine with it. You know, is there a chance that Kings fans are going to have to watch Tyrese Halliburton blossom into a, an all-star down the road? Maybe, but that's not for sure. It's just not, especially in the West. And you have a guy in Sabonis who, I mean, he's a two-time all-star. You can nitpick if you want about it was in the East, this and that. I mean, he's a 20 and 10 guy, and it's really hard for a team in this kind of a market to get that kind of a player. And And now, of course, it's just a question of, you know, how much is it going to propel them and improve what they're trying to do here? Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, and he's 25 years old already having that, that resume Sabonis that is. So um, I, I think it's intriguing. What do you make of the reporting that came out after that? Uh, you know, Oh, well, all these teams saying, if I would have known that Tyrese was available, would have offered it, what, I would have had more conversations about this, like, because at the same time, while there was the, you know, Kings want to build around Fox and Halliburton, we were also hearing that everybody is on the table. And while I think that Tyrese was the last person anyone thought of when you heard everybody was on the table, um, we still were hearing everybody. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't know. I think in the media, sometimes it, you know, 
the the tough part if you're a team and executives is that the media chooses how to frame certain stories. And that particular example that you're, you know, kind of sharing, I rolled my eyes at it a little bit because my understanding from the King side is that they had about five players uh, that they, who they believed were possibly gettable, uh, who they were willing to give up Tyrese for. Now, I don't know the whole list. It's an interesting concept. I would love to see the list, but Sabonis was on it. And the point is that, you know, you make a choice to, I mean, you don't have to broadcast to 30 teams that Tyrese Halliburton is available. There's no obligation to do that. Even if on the back end, they want to act like, oh, I would, we would have given you so much. The thing is they were not interested in draft assets for Halliburton. They wanted a player like Sabonis. So once you, you know, pick that strategy, if you're the Kings, then, you know, you're then deciding, well, are we still going to tell all these teams that, that Halliburton's available and the answer clearly is no, and I don't blame them because if you don't ultimately trade Halliburton, you have to monitor that relationship. We just saw in Philadelphia what happens when a player, in that case Ben Simmons, you know, knows how out there he is in terms of for trades and how it impacts that rapport and that relationship and that dynamic. And it was a disaster, you know. So um, they didn't have to tell every team they they knew what they wanted. You can certainly criticize, scrutinize if what they wanted was the right approach, but I don't have any problem with the idea that that they didn't send out a, a memo to everybody that Tyrese was on the table. Yeah, it makes sense. Only so many guys that fit that young all-star caliber talent, and Sabonis has two years after this of about uh, 18 and a half, I want to say it is next year, and rises to 19.3, somewhere about that in the final season. Um, I mean, to put yeah, it so- more succinctly, Brendan, if you – as a person in a negotiation, don't have anything that I want, then why am I talking to you? You know, like right. that, that's all there was to it. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and then the other deal, we'll talk, a, we'll talk more about Simonis in a little bit here, but um, the other deal was the Kings getting Dante DiVincenzo um, and then Josh Jackson and Trey Lyles as well. And only giving up Marvin Bagley, um, which I think is great business from Sacramento's point of view. Um, but my question to you is, with Milwaukee only getting back for DiVincenzo, Serge Baca, two second round picks, is that to you more representative of them feeling like, you know, he was going to be gone this offseason anyways because of restricted free agency and their finance situation? Or is it more representative of him maybe having a lower league wide value than I think some people might think? Um, I mean, I think that he was definitely looking at greener pastures now that sounds a little strange they just won the championship you know what i mean um but i think in terms of what dante wanted for his individual career the bucks had been informed that he would you know want to kind of spread his wings elsewhere uh and i think that played a part and we know that sacramento has wanted him for quite some time he was part of the bogdan bogdanovich situation the signing trade that never came to pass um, and you know, it's just a guy who they like. So I think it was the product of the bucks looking at it and saying, you know, let's move this guy along. Even if we don't get value, I think his value is fine. I mean, he's coming off the injury, um, but he could be a really, really good fit for the Kings. They get a, a chance to see him under their roof, you know, heading into restricted free agency. And it sounds like he's happy to be in Sacramento. So I think it could be a really good fit. 
Yeah, it seems interesting. They need as many 3 and D guys as they can get, in my mind, to put around Fox and Sabonis, and, and DiVincenzo falls into that, even if the three-point shot is um, a little streaky sometimes for him. Where do you think, and I would assume that a lot of it has to do with how he closes this season since he's coming off the injury and kind of how he recovers from that, but what ballpark do you feel like he could get in restricted free agency? Like, are we talking 12 million, 8 million? It, it seems like there's a wide range here. So you're catching me on the earlier side, you know, when, when we have a few months before free agency is when I'll start studying more what the actual economy looks like at that point. Um, you know, I mean, sure. Those numbers, you know, right out the gate, you know, eight sounds a lot better for the Kings purposes than 12 does. But, but I'm also one thing I kind of admittedly struggle with is that man, 12 million is not what it used to be. And so, you know, when you got guys out there making 40 plus, um, you know, then folks like Dante are certainly going to be trying to get into the 12 to 15 range, but they're just not there yet. You got to see, you know, how he looks. You got to see what you think of him, because if it's not fitting, if they're not winning games, you know, I saw Darren Fox yesterday after practice talking about the general idea that, you know, that if you don't make the playoffs this year, if you don't make the play in tournament and they likely won't, obviously just based on the math, that there's still you've got to see progress and you've got to have the vibe be good and have impact. So if you're a guy like Dante, you know, is he part of the solution or is he kind of a, a net neutral or even a net negative? That's what they got to figure out. And then down the road, see what that contract looks like. Yeah, I got 22 games to kind of see what they're working with here. And um, what guys were you surprised to not see moved on from at the deadline? Um, is Rashawn Holmes a safe yeah. first one? It is. Yeah. I mean, because it, it's uh, it's it's a tough one there. And I know, you know, Jason Anderson of the B wrote about that this week um, because it's Rashawn was such a feel good story for last year's team. And then it was so important for them to resign him just from the standpoint of like you, you didn't have a lot that went well last year, but he was widely seen as a major thumbs up. So and it was a little bit surprising when they were able to resign him. Charlotte was on him. And, you know, you kind of felt like he was a guy that would land elsewhere. Then to have him be a little bit of a casualty in the Sabonis trade is challenging because he had a streak, I think, of like 110 starts in a row before that um, was a major part of the program. But it's tough. But the program wasn't successful enough. And so then at the deadline, I don't know the extent of the talks that they had over homes, you know, there was a little bit of chatter about Washington, but then the Kings kind of pushed back on that. Didn't seem like that was real. Um, so he doesn't move on and he now finds himself in a, in the kind of complimentary role that that was certainly not what he had in mind when he signed that deal. So um, yeah, I mean, at some point here, I, I have to imagine that, that he gets moved on. Yeah. And I, I've talked about recently, like it's gotta be a mental roller coaster for him these last couple of years, like being a guy that's, fighting and clawing for every single minute and then you finally emerge and become this starting caliber center um and like you said played really well last year got paid i would guess less than what he was expecting in free agency certainly less than i expected um with that four years 46 47 million there and how do you think uh Sacramento should manage him throughout the rest of this season assuming the attention the intention is to try and shop him again this off season um is that somebody where if, you know, I think prior to 
the Sabonis edition, like Damian Jones was outplaying him. Um, do you think that you can give Rashawn less minutes or, and how much does that affect his, his value going into this offseason? It's tricky. Remind me, uh, just because it's not coming to me. What is what is Damian's contract status? He's uh, he's up he's expiring. Time. Yeah. So I mean, that's hard because you you do have a vested interest in making sure that Holmes's value doesn't crater. But um, you know, if you're Alvin Gentry down the stretch, you're trying to win games, and and Damian has had some decent moments. So I don't know. Um, I don't know how they do it. You know, it's uh, I do think there's plenty of there's a body of work with Rashawn that he could, you know, he could get tabled tomorrow and teams know who he is. So I don't know. You know, I, th- I think I guess my answer would be you got to You got to play the game and try to win right now. And if that means he's playing nine minutes a night, then so be it. Um, you know, I think you're just going to have to make sure that those teams are looking at some of the old tape to know who Rashawn is. He, he proved himself. I mean, the guy's an impact player. Um, it's just a matter of the context of this roster not fitting him right now. Yeah, that uh, definitely makes sense. And he's had an up and down year with a lot of different injuries and not been able to quite catch a rhythm. Um, is there anybody else on Sacramento's roster you were surprised to not see moved on from at the deadline? Well, I mean, yeah, Harrison Barnes, there was so much noise about Harrison. And there I do think was a, a decent market for him. You know, you heard Utah over and over again. You know, previously Boston had shown interest. Um, he's just a guy who not only a vet, total pro, early this season, as you know, just had some some big-time games and showed, you know, the high end of what he can do. Now, consistency with HB is is always a bit of an issue, but that was a guy that, that I thought they would move along. And then once you started hearing, I guess, in the four or five days leading up to the deadline that – he was likely going to stay it it was reflective of that same idea that they want to win and they are trying to make the play in tournament and you know folks can quibble with that if they if they want to but his contract's good that's the one thing you know all of a sudden this deal that when he signed it you know was met with some criticism you know you look at it now and it's it's up after next year correct yeah right yeah it's 18 i think next year it's been declining um given the fact that this is a guy who legitimately can, you know, if he goes crazy, can give you 30, 40. Um, he's capable of that. Like that's really good value. You just, he's tantalizing though for them, you know, that first game that they won against Minnesota with Sabonis when he had 30 uh, and, and looked great. It's just games like that where you go, dang, you know, if, if that's the guy he was, this would be a playoff team, but he's, you know, he just doesn't find that all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have that 12 for 12 from the line game in that first Minnesota one. He goes 10 from 10 in the next one. They talk about uh, uh, we're trying to get him to, you know, embrace contact more rather than avoiding it. And then in that, I believe it's the Brooklyn game, uh, zero free throws has about nine points. Um, and yeah, just sometimes you get that a little bit with Harrison. And it's so weird because. Yeah, you, it, everything that he does feels like it should be sustainable in these big games outside of the outlier shooting ones. And, uh, you know, maybe working with Sabonis is something that will benefit him. I, I think that he's they're both really smart players and playing off of each other um, could work well offensively. But with the situation Sacramento's in, it clearly seems like they're trying to win basketball games as soon as possible. Really, they need another Harrison Barnes type of guy. Um, and... You know, is it safe to like, I I think that I'm operating from the thought that 
they're going to go into this offseason and there's another big move or substantial I don't know exactly how big um, that should be coming here and this Sabonis is just step one they still have all their draft picks if you want to work with Harrison Barnes or Rashawn Holmes um, and and combine them with a, a draft pick or two and go out and make another move it seems like they need to do something else on top of this right yeah, I just don't know what it looks like. I'm I'm trying to cycle through names of guys that that might be available, and there are you know they they've been big heavy a lot this year, and so I think about a guy like Eric Gordon, um, who has ties to Monty Williams from his time in Houston, and who is I think going to be moved on at some point this summer. You know, you you talk about a Harrison Barnes type. I mean, not necessarily the same type of player, but. You know, Eric would give you an, another bucket getter and, and a guy who can play some defense. You know, how would he fit in? Uh, they're going to be looking around. They they are very active. You know, and I've said this a, a few times recently that I definitely understand from the, the fan standpoint how they keep being so kind of downtrodden about the history of the franchise. Um, this particular front office is functioning in the kind of way that a, an NBA front office should function. It's just a matter of, you know, being ready at the right time for opportunity, having the right conversations and doing the stuff that, that pans out on the court, you know, cause you see when other teams make certain moves that really pay off. Like it's, you know, when you talk to this front office and Monty uh, McNair, I said Monty Williams earlier, didn't I? Okay, uh, but we, right. we know what you mean. <laughs> I've been watching Phoenix too much uh, with Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox that, you know, they sometimes have this kind of spirit of, you know, they can see something brighter around the corner because, you know, things are fresher for them, right? Because they weren't in Sacramento during the 14 years prior to when they arrived when there was no playoffs. Um, Which is a good thing, right? Like you shouldn't, I feel like a front office shouldn't be factoring in the history that they didn't have any part of, like, what does it have to do with them? And it would just cause you to make short-sighted moves, right? For sure. Although now you have me unintentionally going down memory lane because the Bonnie Williams reference, you know, is is kind of a, a flashback to a time when, you know, the Luke Walton coaching tenure, you know, Monty wanted this Sacramento job. And, and I think, you know, probably would have been a, a a better pick at that point. So but that's all the stuff that was pre Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox. So we'll see if they can do it. There was a lot of pressure at the deadline and they did the kind of deal that, you know, at least kind of compelled Vivek Ranadive and the whole group to say, all right, now we see if this works. But as you know, these things always change quickly. So last 22 games matters a lot. If it's not good, if it doesn't look like it has a lot of upside, you know, then things are going to get hot again in the summer. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. We're talking about like, I feel like the team is notably improved, but we still have to see it more sample size of that, obviously, but they're also sitting in the 13th seed. Yeah, uh, it's three and a half games out of the 10 spot. And I don't know how much of an accomplishment the 10 spot should really be in the first place. Cool. Um, so it's interesting. What names do you feel like from around the league that we were hearing floated around um, at this deadline are going to reemerge in conversation come this offseason? Uh, well, I mean, John Wall's got to play basketball at some point. So, you know, what happens with John? Uh, now Kemba Walker is sidelined from the Knicks. Um, you know, John Collins in Atlanta is another one where 
it's just it's not urgent for them to move him. He's he's definitely a, an important part of what they're doing, but they are a little bit similar to I, I kind of reference the old Houston days when Monty McNair was working under Daryl Morey, where they were star hunting all the time. Atlanta's doing some of that, where they were in on Ben Simmons. I think if Zion Williamson, you know, actually becomes available this summer, Atlanta, you know, would 100% be willing to do a package, I think, uh, involving John Collins for a player like Zion. And so John comes to mind. Um, You look at Toronto and how things have evolved there. We thought Pascal Siakam was going to be on the move, but man, the Raptors have had a pretty darn good year. And now I think their shift becomes, you know, how do we build around this group and, and get back to contention. Um, Jeremy Grant. That, oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, that one is, uh, is interesting because they're the, from the personal dynamic standpoint in Detroit, there's, I think been a bit of a split room about what to do with Jeremy. You've got Troy Weaver, the head of the front office who brought Jeremy in free agency has a close relationship with him. And, I know for a fact that like his threshold to trade Jeremy was like, you better give him the farm because he loves that kid. And even on a much deeper note, you know, Jeremy, it's, it's been written when he decided to leave Denver, pursue a bigger role in Detroit, there was a bigger, a bigger than basketball component to it. You know, the idea of playing under a black coach and Dwayne Casey and a black executive and Troy Weaver meant a lot to him, you know, in an extremely diverse city like Detroit. So that's something that Troy, I think, doesn't take any of that stuff lightly. But you also have Arn Tellum, you know, the former power agent who has now uh, been working for the Pistons for a number of years, who kind of has one foot in business and one foot in basketball out there. And the sense that I've gotten is that, you know, he would be willing to to kind of flip Jeremy uh, as part of their plan. So uh, but if teams keep coming hard for somebody like Jeremy, then then maybe he moves too. Yeah, it could be an interesting one. Um, I, I think his extension is a little much, but we'll see if he ends up getting that full um, number that was being floated around out there. Is there any other quiet guys that you're just like keeping tabs on of like, you know, I wonder if they could if they could end up feeling like a change of scenery might be the way to go. Um, I, I know you've floated around like um, on the athletic pod uh, that nobody's talking about Kyrie Irving and his player option. I don't know about that fit in Sacramento exactly, but like that as an example, people that you feel like aren't being talked about much, but maybe keep tabs on. Yeah. I mean, Kyrie, I don't see going anywhere. It's honestly, to me, that one is more where are the nets at the end of the year in relation to Kyrie? How do they feel about him? You know, um, Eric Adams, the New York mayor this week started signaling that he might be willing to lift that vaccine mandate. So if Kyrie can suddenly play home and road games, that's a game changer. Um, so I wouldn't really look for Kyrie to be on the move. The 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 obvious guy that we've been talking about forever is Damian Lillard in Portland. Um, and so there's so much to watch and monitor up in the Northwest right now because, you know, they just changed the entire roster. CJ McCollum to New Orleans, uh, a bunch of guys going out, um, Robert Covington, uh, why am I forgetting who else was in that deal? Um, oh, Norm Powell, one of the Clippers. So now it's a question of, I think Dame's fingerprints are all over some of these moves. And, you know, the idea is 
that, you know, they want flexibility, <clears throat> excuse me, flexibility. And they want him to be able to look out there and say, who do I, who do I want to play with? Now, interestingly, one of those guys is Jeremy Grant. Um, ben Simmons was one of those guys, but now he's off the table. So, but if Dame doesn't feel like their pieces are coming together in the kind of way that might give him a chance soon in Portland, then maybe he just kind of does an about face and goes back to the idea that, that he wants to leave, but he's signaling real strong. He wants to stay, but still it's a little bit like LeBron with the Lakers right now. Like, you know, guys want to stay until they look around and say, I don't see a way out in the next two years. And when you reach a certain age, James Harden's another great example. You can kill James all you want. And I've written stuff that's pretty critical of him, but he clearly looked around Brooklyn and was like, man, I pushed my way out of Houston to contend for a title. And I got one guy playing half the time, the other guy's hurt, um, you know, and, and just wasn't what he thought it would be. So time is of the essence. So now he pushes on to the next stop in Philly. And with Dame, that's where I'm wondering where his head is at. If this thing doesn't kind of unfold the way he wants, does he end up changing his uh, course again? Yeah, it'd be interesting to monitor for sure. Um, before we move to coaching, actually, one other guy, uh, PJ Washington. I thought that was a guy that, in my mind, uh, Charlotte made a lot of sense for Rashawn Holmes. I believe we heard Charlotte link to them last um, uh, in the offseason. And I thought that, you know, P.J. Washington was a guy that kind of made sense there. Um, do you think that he's somebody that could potentially be on the move and restricted with kind of the crowdedness going on in Charlotte? Yeah, he could. I could see that. Um, you know, you got out there, you got Mitch Kupchak a guy who's been doing this a long time. Um, you know, admittedly, I don't have a great feel for PJ's future, but, you know, there is crowdedness and, and uh, you know, you got to be able to read LaMelo's ball's mind a little bit. I, I asked LaMelo at All-Star Weekend essentially kind of how involved he was in either the recruiting of other players in a location like Cleveland or or even beyond that, um, having a voice, you know, and, and I, that part kind of intrigues me as far as how Charlotte operates. Uh, so, you know, there's always that connective tissue, if you will, like, you know, so where's LaMelo out with PJ? Is he part of the future? And, uh, but we'll see there too. Yeah. Uh, it should be interesting. I think that it'll be a intriguing off season for Sacramento. They should be, um, yeah, I would guess a part of a lot of conversations and at very least whispers and I'll throw out a bunch of hypotheticals nonstop. I'm sure. Um, you talked about the coaching situation a little bit earlier, brutally teasing with what Monty Williams could have been. Um, do you, you know, have an idea of what these incentives are for Alvin Gentry that, you know, we've heard that like he, if he meets X, Y, and Z markers that he could stay along after this season. I don't have clarity. Um, I just know the only thing I know definitively was that in the negotiations between Alvin's agent and the Kings leading up to the choice to make him the guy when they fired Luke Walton, that there was certainly a push from his side to create uh, an incentive structure in the contract to where, you know, he would be rewarded for getting them to the postseason. I don't know where they landed in terms of does one play in game check that box or is it the actual playoffs? I will say I mean, for one, you know, I don't know the numbers, but he got certainly got a bump to a more head coaching kind of caliber salary for the end of this season. 
and I believe has, you know, contractually next season. Um, I, I just still think they're, you know, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a great feel for it, which is why you're seeing hesitation, but I'm leaning towards, you know, it would surprise me at this point to have Alvin coaching the team next year. Um, but admittedly, I'm, I've not quite been to the point where I'm pressing the Kings yet on, uh, on what they plan on doing there. Yeah. And is there ever scenarios where um, somebody gets promoted to interim and then when a new they, they go about their coaching search that offseason that that guy goes back down to an assistant level? I can't immediately think of examples. Um, you know, that, that, that would be a tough pill to swallow, I think. It just depends on who's coming in. Like, let's say... I mean, here's an interesting idea. Let's say the Kings were willing to get out their checkbook in a fairly major way and give Mike D'Antoni one last crack at a head coaching job. You know, he is one of the best coaches of all time. Mike and Alvin have a lot of history. Like in that kind of a scenario, I could see Alvin saying, yeah, let me rock with my guy and stick around. And it would probably be a, you know, he'd probably be like an associate head coach or something like that. So I think in a unique circumstance, for sure, but the odds would be against it. If you're somebody like Alvin who has got, you know, the kind of deep resume that he does, um, it's probably not hard for you to find another landing spot in terms of being an assistant and, uh, and, and just the optics of you kind of filling that head coaching seat for a short time before you get bumped back down would probably not be uh, ideal. And then Doug Christie was talked about when uh, Luke Walton was let go of. And I'm curious your thoughts on Doug seemingly being pretty strongly considered as somebody that doesn't have that much coaching experience. It feels very Vlade-esque of bringing in a well-liked previous player. So I'm torn on this one because I, you know, I, I think Doug is an extremely bright guy who I think could be a very good head coach. The only problem I have with it is that my intel going back to the coaching change that they made was that all of the noise about Doug and the only reason that he was in the discussion was because it was coming from the ownership side. This was an ownership idea that the front office did not appear to be interested in. And so that for any team is like, you don't even have to have the discussion about, do you think this particular candidate could be good. You, to me, the analysis stops with, well, wait a minute. That's, you know, ownership superseding front office, not being on the same page. That is not a healthy dynamic. That's not how this is supposed to work. Now, last time that lack of agreement on that particular issue led to Alvin being the coach, Doug, not getting the job. So you could argue that in that instance, they honored the front office's perspective and, and the front office's wishes. Um, now things can evolve. Maybe the front office has had more time to talk to Doug about the possibility to chew on it. And I don't know this to be the case at all, but let's say for the sake of argument that they shifted a bit on Doug, then that's a game changer and, and we'll see. Maybe he could be the guy. Um, you know, the only other two, and I've said this before, but Vivek always has kind of his six degrees of Golden State mentality and um, two guys who are very good coaches who I would expect to be in the running are Mike Brown and, and Kenny Atkinson. Um, 
you know, two guys who have been head coaches before have done good work with the Warriors. So I'm anticipating a search um, in, in a fairly robust one, but again, don't a hundred percent know that just because I haven't, I haven't dug at this point. Yeah. Is there other coaching names that stand out to you? Like I think of Terry Stotts, um, you mentioned Atkinson, D'Antoni. Is there other names that stand out to you? And who's out there? I mean, Stotts is a good one. Obviously, offensive heavy and defensively kind of deficient, but you know, had a lot of success. Um, honestly, I'm kind of drawing a blank, but you know, you have like a David Vanterpool or yeah, I mean, David's a good name for sure. You know, David, of course got passed over for the Minnesota job when he was the associate head coach and is a guy that, that, you know, sometimes coaches get the, the benefit of some of the relationships too. He's extremely close with Damian Lillard. And so, um, and, and beyond Damian, you see his ability to connect with guys is the kind of thing that is going to serve him well. So Vanderpool's a good, uh, a good candidate. Um, you're stumping about, me here, Brendan. Yeah, who no else? No worries. What What about any guys that um, are on teams now that you could see potentially kind of being on the hot seat and, and potentially making the routes? Like I think of Thibodeau, like is Vogel in that conversation? For sure. Yeah, both those guys. Um, Vogel, the, the Lakers have this habit of not valuing coaching. And so, you know, meaning it's funny because we talked about Monty Williams you know, the Kings, you could argue, should have hired Monty Williams. And the Lakers, you could argue, should have as well. Now, Frank won a title. Frank, I think, has been good there. But with Monty, it's not a matter of who's the best coach. But the only reason I say that about Monty with the Lakers is that, you know, it was a matter of not cutting the kind of check that it would have taken to get that done. And so they compromised and they do Vogel, who was their third option at the time. Now when they gave Frank extension last year, they added one year last summer. And that kind of told you all you needed to know about, you know, the footing underneath him. And now we've seen how messy it's been all year long. We reported a couple months ago that he came really close to getting fired after they got blown out in Denver. So Frank, you know, is, is going to have uh, a spotlight on him this summer. The Thibodeau one, it's getting messy in New York too. You know, Leon Rose, and worldwide West in that front office, you know, it's been reported by the New York media are kind of now throwing Tibbs out of the bus and saying he's the fall guy. But it's also like we've seen this playbook before. Tibbs, you know, is a very, very good coach, but you know, his kind of his flame burns so bright that he ends up kind of scorching players in pretty short order. And usually it's year two, and we're seeing that happen right now. You know, they trade for Cam Reddish, and the front office thinks that this is a guy that is going to help them. And Tibbs kind of just shrugs and says, no, nah, he's not, not part of my rotation, you know, and we go back to the conversation we had about synergy front office ownership, but coaching is obviously part of that too. So you're seeing friction on that front. Um, trying to think of other names of, of guys that, that might be in trouble. Is, uh, is Carlisle? He just started. So no, no, no. Okay. Is he in trouble? Yeah. No, he's, if anything, he's about to take over their front office. Okay. Um, Kevin Pritchard's run their front office for a long time. Rick, Rick is behind all these moves. You know, I guarantee, you know, Rick's opinion of Tyrese had everything to do with this trade. 
Um, no, they see Rick as the kind of, especially in small markets, I think the the Rick Carlisle hire in terms of the strategy was not only that you get a championship coach who has, has done a lot of great things, but you get a guy that has the potential from a personality standpoint and a profile standpoint to almost be like, you know, in the NCAA where the coaches are the stars, um, you could have a tiny slice of that with Carlisle and the Pacers where, you know, even if some of the players are moving in and out, you know, the fans can at least look to Carlisle to be the guy leading them. So no, I think he's fine for sure. Makes sense. Um, I think just last bit here with you, Sam, is just while I feel like the team is improved, like I said, I need to see more of it. Um, how much further do they have to go? Like, because right now you're talking about a Fox Sabonis pairing and say HB's the third. How good are you in the West? Like next year, you're going to see Kawhi Leonard and Paul George come back, Jamal Murray and uh, MPJ coming back. And, you know, maybe Zion makes it back for New Orleans. Who knows what goes on with Portland? Um, could go in either direction, right? Like, this this pairing, while I think it like feels good that it's something new right now, are you an eight seed even? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've said before, like the ceiling to me would be six, like the absolute ceiling. I'm not necessarily seeing it, but you know, the takeaway there is that I, you know, I, I bet the mortgage uh, on my house that I you're not getting higher than six with this team, and maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. But you're right. That is the hard part about the Kings' existence is that even when you add an all-star, you know, you look around. And and it's in terms of, like, was it a prudent move? You know, he's got two years left. And so it's not – you didn't get a guy on an expiring deal. You didn't sell your soul for the next two months. But there is risk here. And the way you kind of just laid it out, Brandon, in terms of the West is pretty daunting. You know, the West – the East has gotten a whole lot better. It's a a gauntlet of its own right now. And the West – has only fallen off largely because some of the guys who are missing who you mentioned, and it's going to be tough. You know, I don't know who that next guy is. I mean, we didn't come up with any great names here. I mean, you know, unless they find some magical way to get Zion, which I don't see happening, you know, what kind of player would get them firmly into that? I mean, if you're them, the dream scenario is to find a roster to build a roster to get up into the Denver and Memphis territory you know, that kind of a homegrown, you know, approach, uh, maybe get one guy from the outside like they already have and and compete on that level. They're just not there. And Memphis is all of a sudden like a top three team. You know, Utah still got its core and, and people are sleeping on them and they're hot right now. So, um, yeah, it's pretty daunting. And, you know, they still got a long ways to go for sure. Just praying that they somehow jump into the top four of this draft and – that gives you an asset to really work with and add another piece because they do need more. Um, Can't say thanks enough. Uh, Again, Sam, anybody, Sam Amick, obviously senior writer for the athletic. Um, I will see you later today, Sam, and that game against Denver. Boogie's return. I don't think he's playing though. I think uh, Sean Cunningham had reported he's not uh, signing his next 10 days. So I don't think there's a boogie return, but uh, But 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 the big fella who uh, should be MVP this year, Mr. Jokic, is going to be uh, in the building. So that part should be fun. 
there we go. Um, and definitely everybody here, check out all the great work going on at the Kings Herald for myself and all the other guys and gals there. And take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. If you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Hear from us again in the next couple of days. Thanks, Brendan.